Hi, my name is Taylor, and this is my testimony of how I came to know the Lord. So growing up, you know, my family attended church, but Jesus was really not talked about at home. And, but I, I still, it amazes me because I think he truly did just pluck me out, you know, and set me apart from my family um, at a really young age. And I remember just, just having this really strong desire to talk to him and just just be in constant communication with him and so prayer even at a really young age has always been you know super important to me and I remember just being little and just always having this constant dialogue with the Lord and you know looking back I see now that he was just by his grace he he did that for me and you know he's like I said he set me apart even though Jesus wasn't, you know, in my home, you know, and being shared with me through my parents, and I didn't have a lot of guidance in that area. So I just took on this unfortunate tendency to seek out my identity in relationships, relationships with friends, and then eventually in my dating relationships. So when I was 17, I had my first boyfriend, and he was a Christian guy. And in my very innocent mind, I just assumed that I would be perfect um, just because I was just so unaware of how broken our world is. And so this relationship, um, it just started off pretty controlling and then it made its way into a very, just very unhealthy and then very like damaging relationship for me. And... Um, it went on for a few years and you know fast forward I'm now this 20 year old college student who is just absolutely broken and I I was just a shell of a person because I gave someone else the permission to tell me my value you know other than than Christ and so I had been involved in a college ministry at Ohio State and they were really encouraging students to go on summer missions and so I applied for the Chicago summer mission which was three months long and there were I think 130 other students from different schools and it was truly one of the most uh, challenging but most one of the most beautiful experience of my life and it was just really a refining I think moment for all of us because we were just these broken kids you know coming together acknowledging our brokenness and how to like stand on that and best serve the Lord. It was it was just a really sweet experience, I think, to do with such a, uh, just a sweet community. And our anthem that summer was the song Broken Vessels. Uh, we sang that all the time. And one night we were just worshiping and I just felt just an overwhelming presence of the Lord. And I remember I just started crying and I, with each like tear that fell from my face, I truly felt like the Lord was just releasing a lot of the pain that I had been holding on to for so many years. And you know, as this pain was being removed, the Lord was just you know making His way into my heart. And it's interesting because my story, you know, I go all these years searching for love and just to feel valued and seen. And in this moment, the Lord just flips a switch and 
there is Jesus. You know, he was he was there and he had been there, you know, this 20 plus years. And in this moment, though, the Lord chose to reveal that to me and to re- reveal his love to me in such a, a strong way. And it's truly just still one of the most, you know, tender moments of my life. And you know, after this moment, I a few days later I ended up getting baptized and with a few other students actually and it, this summer truly did, you know, change my life and kind of just set the tone for, you know, where I am today. I am just always reminded of, you know, just how the Lord is able to truly just see into our situations and just he's able to pluck us out of those if those aren't you know of him and something that's not you know serving him well and I think that's just a beautiful example of his grace and his love for us and I'm forever thankful and blessed that he could see things that I couldn't and that he you know chose to save his daughter from those those circumstances and and that those moments, you know, have led to where I am now. And, you know, all glory to him. I wish all of us had opportunity to hear the entirety of the stories of some of these testimonies that you're hearing on Sunday morning. Um, We are taking a great deal of information from these interviews and condensing them down. And what a blessing when we hear how Christ uh, intervened uh, and how Jesus is so real and present in the lives of folks that we rub shoulders with every day and their stories of how Jesus rescued them and how Jesus revealed uh, who they were and who he is. And uh, I love these testimonies of God's grace and forgiveness, and we've been in this series entitled There Was Jesus, as we've been looking at uh, various examples from God's word in the gospels of individuals who had encounters with Jesus, and he forever transformed and changed their lives, and uh, what a blessing to be able to be a part of this together as we're studying God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23 this morning, and you can turn there. I don't know where you're at on the journey of life. Uh, Some of you are here and maybe you feel like you're just starting out. Uh, Some of you are here and you feel like you're kind of at the midway point. And some of you, you're like, okay, I'm down the home stretch. I'm I'm in the latter part of of living of my life. And you've experienced either very little or just a a little bit or a lot. I don't know where you're at, but what I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at today in that journey of life, young or old, or anybody in between, I want to let you know that Jesus Christ is Savior, and he can transform and change your life. Jesus can do that. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at an account in the Gospel of Luke of a man who was at the very end of his life, the very end of this physical life, and he would meet Jesus. It's an incredible story as we look at this encounter of the thief on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, we're going to begin in verse 32. You can follow along in God's word. Jesus is being crucified, and while he is being crucified, it says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Where they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, 
and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a just incredible, again, portion of God's word in this gospel account from Luke where Christ is being crucified, and there are a lot of things, again, as we've said every week with the text that we're examining, there are so many things that we can examine in the text before us, uh, so many theological truths and so many things that we could bring out in the text. But in our series, we've been focusing in on directly the relationship the encounter between these individuals and Jesus. And that's what we want to do this morning as we look at the thief on the cross. The word used here is the word criminals for these individuals that were there. We need to know these were bad guys. Okay, These were bad guys that were crucified with Jesus. Now there are many who believe that these men that were crucified with Jesus were uh, those that committed crimes with Barabbas. If you know who Barabbas is, uh, Barabbas was a thief and a murderer. Barabbas was the one that uh, the crowd chose to have released instead of Jesus when Jesus would be ordered to be crucified. And many believe these were men that committed crimes with Barabbas. We don't know that for certain. The word that's translated criminals here can also be translated evil doers. These were evil men who committed evil crimes. Crimes enough to sentence them to death by crucifixion. These were not good guys, quote unquote good guys. And they were being crucified with Christ. The three of them there, Jesus being numbered and counted as a criminal with these other criminals crucified that very day. And again, there's a lot that we can look at as far as what they were saying to him, the crowds and, and the chief priests and the soldiers that were there. There's a lot of things that we can look at even in the very words of Christ when Christ is praying for their forgiveness because of their not recognizing who he is and what exactly they were doing in crucifying him, but we want to again focus on this relationship between Jesus and the thief on the cross. And I want to point out a few different points that I think are important this morning and then translate that over to some points for you and I uh, really to apply this morning. The first point I want to make is that the thief here had a recognition of his own sin. The thief would have a recognition of his own sin. There's going to come a point in time where Jesus is being mocked and he's being uh, spit on and he's crucified now. And even the thieves that were being crucified with him, 
would participate in this. And we read in the passage here that the criminal who was hanged with him, verse 39, railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's spewing these things out to Jesus. And and the, the picture that you get here from the response of the other thief, as well as from the responses of those watching, is he just was kind of going along with what everybody else was yelling at Jesus. And then there's the sense of, of mocking here. It says they railed at him, and this thief that is crucified with Jesus is looking at Jesus, and he's basically saying, listen, if you are who you say you are, get yourself off of that cross and get us down too if you're able to do that. There's a mocking that's going along with this. But the response of the other criminal is one of recognition of his own sin. If you look at verse 40, the other rebuked him and said, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And look at what he says, verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This thief had come to a point of recognition of his own guilt, of his own sin, of his own failures, of his own faults. Do you see that with me? That he's telling this other thief that's being crucified, what are you doing? Do you not fear God? We are receiving what we are due, the punishment that is due to us. That's what we're getting because we are guilty. There was a recognition of his own sin, and so true, you and I must also come to a point of recognition of our own sin before God. You've heard this verse many times in these services, that the Word of God tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, meaning all, have sinned, every one of us. This thief had come to a point of recognition of his own sin. And you and I must also come to that point of recognizing we have sinned. We fall short of the holy standard of the perfect holy God. Every one of us must recognize that. Now there's very few people who... If asked, hey, have you ever sinned, would say, no, I've never sinned, I'm perfect. There's very few people who would come to that conclusion or actually say that out loud at least, even if they think that in their own mind or their own heart. But the problem for most of us is not that we question whether or not we've ever sinned, ever told a lie, or ever did something we know would be displeasing to God. The problem for most of us is that we think even though we've done these things, we're still pretty good and okay. So often we don't truly recognize our own sin because don't we play the comparison game quite a bit? I'm not as bad as that person or what about them? It's interesting because even from a young age as children, if if a group of children are arguing or they're fighting and someone steps in and says, hey, knock it off. What does every child say? It's not my fault. They started it. He started it. She started it. They did it. We are all very good at pointing out Everyone else, aren't we, but not seeing our own flaws, our own sin. Don't miss what this thief is recognizing here. He is recognizing his own guilt. He's admitting his own guilt, his own failure, his own problems, his own faults. He's seeing what is true of his own life. And so it is true for you and I. We must come to that point of recognition of our guilt and sin before God. The word of God says there is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one 
who does good. No, not one. We are all guilty before God because of our sin. And this thief came to this recognition. Secondly, the thief had a recognition of Christ's holiness. Look at verse 41. It continues on and he says, We indeed justly are condemned, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He had a recognition of Christ's innocence, of Christ's holiness, of the fact that he's not only not deserving of of death for the things that they're accusing him of, but he actually says he has done nothing wrong. There's a recognition of Christ's holiness here. Now here's what's very interesting to me is that that was not always the case for this thief for this criminal that was there in the gospel of Matthew and also the gospel of Mark but in Matthew chapter 27 Matthew is recording this scene of the crucifixion and he gives us a little bit of what happened prior to this thief's recognition of his own sin and recognition of Christ's holiness or absence of sin in Matthew 27 Matthew says this then two robbers were crucified with him one on the right and one on the left And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. In verse 44 of Matthew 27, Matthew records, And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. This would lead us to this very clear picture that this thief who initially and crucified with Jesus was reviling him and railing against him and mocking him and saying these things. He came to a point at some point in time while on that cross, observing, watching, listening, seeing Jesus, he came to a point of recognition of his own sin but also of the holiness of Christ. He recognized Christ's holiness. You know, you and I, too, must recognize not only our own sin, but the holiness of our holy God. The perfect holiness of Christ. That he truly is the Lamb of God without spot, without blemish. He is perfectly holy, set apart from all that is evil. A lot of times it's easy It's easy for us to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, isn't it? It's easy for us to think of ourselves in a manner of we're doing pretty good until we are pressed up against something or someone that is just far better. I have a shirt that I like to wear, and I've worn it quite a bit, and over time, after it has been washed, uh, it's faded in color. And I never realized how much that shirt faded in color until someone else was wearing the same shirt, but it was new. And I was wearing that shirt, and I was up against the person wearing it, and it was new. And I was like, holy cow, like this thing has faded so much. And I never even realized it until it was against the brand new shirt, right? I feel like in many ways that's what was happening here for this thief. He began on this cross in in, in the presence of Christ 
railing against Jesus, mocking Jesus, not fearing God in not recognizing who Jesus is and what Jesus was doing, but over time observing, watching in the presence of Jesus, his own sin became very clear. And the holiness, the perfection of Jesus became clear for him as well. He was seeing the Son of God. God was opening his eyes to who he is and to who Christ is. I want you to understand something this morning, church, that that's the exact same thing that must happen for you and I. We must come to a point of recognition of our own sin. All have sinned. We must come to the point of recognition of the condemnation that sin brings. But we also must recognize the holiness of Christ. That he truly is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Number three, the thief had a recognition of his own need. The other rebuked in verse 40 saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Do you not even fear God? He was calling out to this other thief, Do you not fear God? We are condemned and rightly, justly so. He had a recognition of his own need. And you and I must recognize our need as well. He's going to, in a moment, uh, petition Jesus that Jesus would remember him. And I think, again, this elevates the fact that he had a recognition of his own need. You and I must recognize our own need as well. And we must recognize there is nothing we can do to meet that need in and of ourselves. You follow with me the progression here? A recognition of his own sin. And you and I must recognize our own sin that we fall short. A recognition of the perfect holiness of God and the perfect holiness of Christ that Christ alone was sufficient as the one-time sacrifice for our sins. The recognition of our own need because the word of God says that the end result of our sin is death, eternal separation from God, eternal punishment in the lake of fire, the word of God tells us. That's the end result of our sin. And this thief came to this point of recognizing we are condemned We must fear God. And he's going to petition Jesus in a moment. But he had a clear recognition of his own need. So too you and I must recognize the need that is present. I don't care if you're here and you are young or old or anyone in between. You and I have the exact same need. We need forgiveness from a holy God that is only possible through the sacrifice of his holy son. Every one of us has that need. You know, it's easy sometimes to view ourselves as pretty good until we recognize the standard that truly we are held against. The Word of God tells us that if anyone would keep the entirety of the law, all of God's standards, all of God's commands, and yet fail in one area, he or she is guilty of all. Maybe you're here today and you came in this morning and you were thinking, the farthest thing from your mind was, I'm a sinner and I need saved. Because you think you're doing pretty good. Can I just tell you something? If you don't know Christ as Savior, you're not doing pretty good. You and I, apart from Christ, are not just not doing pretty good. We are failing. Because we cannot save ourselves. Now, those of you that maybe are 
not here that often. Maybe you and I have not spoken in person. Those of you that may be watching online today, you might be thinking, man, that guy's pretty tall up there. (laughs) Is it that funny to say that? I mean... But you might be thinking, especially if you're online, yeah, hey, I bet he's probably six one, six foot. All right, you're not that far off. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go to my parents this afternoon because they, they're going to have us over for dinner. And I'm going to go to my parents' house. And when I'm at my parents' house, uh, my mom and my dad, one of my sisters, my wife, my four children, my aunt and my uncle will all be there. And we're going to have my aunt's making um, homemade spaghetti sauce and, and meatballs and stuff like that. So, uh, and if you're hungry and you're like, I'm going to Olive Garden, you're not getting it at Olive Garden. Okay? And so uh, there's going to be quite a bit of us there. My family of six, my mom, my dad, my sister, that's nine. My aunt, ten. My uncle, eleven. There's going to be eleven of us there. And when I go today to eat with my family, I will be the tallest person in that room. <laughs> Other than my uncle, okay? He's like a giant. He's like 5'10", something like that. He's, he's a giant. Now he's six foot or so. He might be 6'1". Um, but other than my uncle, I will be towering over everybody in that lunch area, okay? Because I'm taller than everybody there. So when I'm there, I'm going to be there and be like, anybody need me to get anything off the top shelf? Because I can get it for you. I will be tall. Listen, if, if the only experience I have is my family, I could walk away from my family and think, man, like you all are pretty short because I am tall. I mean, I love going overseas to Thailand when we do the pastoral training primarily because we get to teach theology and training but the added benefit is I am not short when I'm doing that training and and as people come and I'm shaking their hands it is there's something about being able to look like at the same eye level or slightly down you understand what I'm saying depending on who I'm with I could feel pretty tall and you laugh Isn't it the exact same thing when it comes to the examination of our own selves before God? Depending on who we surround ourselves with, we think we're doing pretty good. But can I remind us this morning? The standard by which I am examined and held is not you. It's not someone who is worse than me. The standard by which I and you will be judged, every one of us, is against the standard of a perfect, holy God. And when that's the standard, folks, we all have some serious problems if left to ourselves. The prophet Isaiah had this experience where he was brought into the throne room of God. Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy 
Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled, is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah would recognize in the presence of a holy God, he is completely condemned alone by himself apart from God. Woe is me, he said. I'm a sinner. I'm an unclean man. In every one of us, the word of God tells us, apart from Christ, are unclean, unholy, and deserving of the wrath of God. This thief had a recognition of his own need. Can I ask you today, have you come to a point in your life where you have recognized your own need for forgiveness from sin? Number four, the thief had a recognition that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Verse 42, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had a clear recognition not only of his need and his sin, of the holiness of Christ, but he had a clear recognition that this truly is the Son of God. He says to Jesus, remember me, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Who has a kingdom but a king? See, there's no reason for this man to make this statement to Jesus if he didn't believe Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had a recognition that Jesus is the Son of God. You and I must come to this same recognition that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he is the King of kings. That he alone is Savior. That there is no other. It is not enough to be here this morning and believe that Jesus was just a good man. It's not enough to believe that Jesus was just a prophet of God, a good man sent by God to do some good things. It is not enough. It's not enough to believe that Jesus Christ was crucified for sin and that does something, but there's more that's needed. That is not enough to believe. You and I must believe in our sin. We must believe in the holiness of God and of Christ, of the perfect sacrifice of Christ, that that alone is sufficient to save. And we must recognize Christ as who he is, the Son of God, who laid down his life so that we might have life. If you're here today, young or old, you have to hear this. There is no other name by which you can be forgiven and saved other than Jesus. And you and I must come to the point of recognition of Jesus as the Son of God, even as this thief did. And look at what the thief did, verse 42. He would call out to Christ for salvation. Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you, when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. There's no petition on the part of this man. Jesus, tell me what I got to do. <laughs> tell me what I got to do. Because he couldn't do anything. He's hanging next to Christ. His life is about to come to a point of end. There was no penance in church to go and confess his sins to a priest. 
a man-centered confession. There was no money to give to the church. There was no little old lady to help across the street. There was no missions trip to attend. There was no water to be able to give to someone to drink. There was nothing this man could do but call out to Jesus. And can I encourage you today? That's all that was needed for this man. To call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And that is exactly what would happen in his life right then and there. I don't know what you've been trying to do to get right with God, but there's nothing that you can do to get right with God in and of yourself. No amount of church going, no amount of money giving, no amount of good deeds, no amount of missions trips, no amount of penance, no amount of participation in communion or baptism or any other good work can get you right with God. The only thing that will get you right with God is recognition that you're a sinner, you need forgiveness, and calling out to the Lord for salvation because that's the only way there's forgiveness of sins is calling out to Jesus. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, you alone can do this. Jesus, I got nothing. I can't offer anything, but I'm pleading with you. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And look at verse 43. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus saved him. Offered forgiveness of his sins through the faith and belief that this man had in Christ. His sins were forgiven. And today, today, that man is in paradise. The thief on the cross. Listen to me this morning. I don't know where you're at in your journey of life. If you are young, if you are somewhere in between, or you are just old. If you are short, average height, or tall. If you are just really good, pretty good, or awful. I don't know where you're at. But I can tell you this, no matter where you think you are on that scale, in the presence of a holy, righteous God, we are all equal. Equally in need of forgiveness through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And just like this thief on the cross, at the very conclusion of his life, he called upon the name of the Lord and was saved. Today, you too can be saved from your sin by calling out to the Lord for salvation. I want to ask you these questions as we close this morning. Number one, have you recognized your own sin? Has there ever been a point in your life where you have said before a holy God, I've sinned? I've sinned. Have you recognized your personal need for forgiveness? I've sinned against you, God, and you alone. And I need forgiveness for my sin. 
Because I know that what awaits me because of my sin is the wrath of God. Punishment. Eternal hell. Have you recognized that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He is the perfect Lamb of God. The perfect and only sacrifice for sin. Have you called out to Jesus? The word of God tells us if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. Have you called out to Jesus? If you have and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, are you now serving him? He's transformed your life. Are you now serving him? And number six, who will you now share Jesus with? Who will you now share Jesus with? Because in every one of our lives that know Christ as Savior, we can say, there was Jesus. If you're here today and you are lost and you recognize you're a sinner in need of forgiveness, can I just tell you this morning? Here is Jesus inviting you to come, to believe in him and have forgiveness of sins.